I want to just say just a couple things, man. Mark, that, you know, uh, man, that's uh, it's hard for me to receive, uh, you know, when you say something like that, just to know that, you know, that, that I've been able to have some kind of impact in your life. And I look at how high up you have gone in life and all the things that God's doing in your life. And for Pastor Dalton to say, you know, uh, just call me a friend. I, we were talking the other day. Do you know a, a great gratitude? I, I got a man, I got so much I got to do here, and I want to spend so much time on this sermon. But a great gratitude exercise is to go all the way back, look at something great in your life, go all the way back and try to find when it started. Try to find that one thing that if you didn't do it, it wouldn't have happened. And, you know, we figured out for me, when he came to my church when I was a brand-new Christian, right out of World Harvest Bible College and came and preached, in the foyer of the church, he gave me a piece of paper and gave me his phone number. You never know, man. Be careful who you give your phone number to because they might not go away. But you know what's crazy? I held that phone number and didn't use it for a long time. I knew one of these days and we were preaching on the road, doing revival after revival after revival. We had just started into our revival season, and we're coming through Lexington. And I'm like, should we call it? We called the number. It was on a Sunday. I thought you guys would be in service. And I was on a Sunday, and he said, come on by the house. Answered the call. Went by the house, took us to our first Japanese steakhouse. You remember that? I mean, the knives were going and stuff. I'm just, I was just a country boy. We didn't even know they had those things. And uh, they're flinging shrimp into my mouth. It was just one of the greatest nights of my life. I was going through a crisis, you know, with uh, some leadership in my life and went back to the house, cried on their shoulders for hours and got to see the, the, Pierce, the Pierce brothers, you know, uh, fighting it out and doing what they did, you know, when they were young. And, uh, but no, our kids got to hang out with them and play with them and we just, and friendship was created. And I just... I just don't know where I'd be in life if it wasn't for your pastors. And, and you know, it's, I'll say one more thing. I've said it many times. You know, uh, what I love is the humility that they possess because I probably should still be calling him father and bishop because of the influence that he's had in my life. Uh, truly, uh, the way that God used him in those decades of my life, it's just absolutely incredible. But what's even more beautiful is he has allowed me to level up into true friendship over the years. And a lot of people will not allow that to happen. And I, I just thank God. And I, I want you to know I still respect you as the man of God that you are. I was listening to you just to, just an offering teaching, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, that, that guy can preach. He's like, over in Genesis. I was like, come on, man. Uh, but, uh, and, then, and then just one final thing, getting to serve with your church and your team over in Kentucky. You know, I've, I, I give attention to detail. I can tell when somebody's lazy and when somebody's not, and when people really work and when they're not. The team you guys sent, they were working and sweating for hour after hour after hour. I mean, it was just incredible. And uh, I just... It's just such an honor, the, the spirit of service that is in this church and the way that you guys care about the world around you. It is a beautiful thing. And then to be here in worship and see you guys writing your own music now, putting out your own voice and message, man. And then this Christmas thing here, I, even attention to detail. I love the way you, what was her name, Tatiana? 
I love the way you guys looked out for her. She's so beautiful. You would hate for all that snow to be getting all over her. So you had it snow right in front of her. So she's able to just graze her fingers across it, not ruin her, you know, just little details like that, man. This church is about the little details. It's so beautiful. And, uh, but I do feel like I'm the butt of a joke right now. You guys are doing Christmas, eh, Christmas in July and you think you're bringing Santa up in here. I know what that's about. I caught it. So I looked around. I was like, Christmas in July? Come on. I'll just play with you. Okay, so um, well, anyway, let's get into this, uh, get into this message. Um, I'm going to be speaking to you. You know, you guys are doing this series. It's a philosophical series. You know, the pillars of life. Is that what it's called? Pillars of life. And, uh, you know, they said, Stephanie said, here's a list of, like, all the things we whiteboarded. You can pick any of them. And I, I knew immediately that there were lots of pillars in my life. I, I've built layers in my life. There's, there's two mountains of influence I feel called to, the business world, and I feel called to religion, the religion mountain. If you've ever studied the seven mountains of influence, obviously, obviously religion and business. And I could talk to you about a lot of stuff that would help you dream and be productive and reach your goals and break through and all these things. But when they said, talk about your philosophy, your pillar, what is your pillar? I think, I think there's nothing that has gotten me to where I am in life right now that is greater to me, philosophically speaking, than the pillar of prayer. And the more I become independent, the more God has to shake me up periodically and go, I need you to also be dependent. Now, I'll, I'll, matter of fact, I'll just do this because it's coming into my head right now. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And, you know, they go through this thing, and he says, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. But when you get older, another's going to dress you and send you places you don't want to go. And what he was saying was, is when immaturity is you, being is you being independent. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. But when you get older, another is going to dress you. It's wild because a lot of people become independent from God as they, as they mature. And that is a dangerous thing. You want to reverse that. And as you get older, you want him to be able to dress you and send you wherever he wants, and that is not an easy thing. And so, uh, to, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking to you guys about um, today uh, a message that I've titled. You might think in the beginning it's a little cheesy, but stick with me. I'm going to be talking to you. Uh, I created a new word. It's called the anoramic view. Not to be confused with the panoramic view. I'd like for you to stand real fast. I know you're all settled in with your Bibles and everything. Uh, if you could stand. And I want you just to do something with me real fast. I want you to look to your left all the way as far as you can without moving your legs. Uh, just all the way to the left, I want you to look. And I want you to pan to the right now. Pan across, you see the stage, handsome preacher on the stage, going over to the right, the graphic of the sermon, all the way to the right. What you just looked at, you can go ahead and be seated. Have you ever done it with your phone before? The panoramic, Right? Where you're like, hold on a minute, don't anybody move. And when it first started out, you had to go at a certain speed. Now it's pretty good, all the way around. And then you go, whoa, look at that panoramic. Panoramic, panning. Looking as far as you can in your peripheral all the way. It's seeing the whole, it's the 180, the panoramic view. And uh, today I'm going to talk to you about seeing with your eyes a miracle which you have manifested by faith. I'm going to talk to you about a type of view that every Christian should experience in your lifetime. And you cannot get this by going somewhere physically. 
This is a spiritual view. This is a supernatural view. And so I want you to think about some of the panoramic views you've experienced in your lifetime, you know. Uh, I purposely didn't tell the media team because I didn't want to wait for microphones to be moving around the crowd or anything. And I know this is online as well, and we want to capture all of this. But real fast, in a sloppy manner, I'd like for just a few of you to raise your hand if you're really excited about a certain panoramic view you've seen in your lifetime. Something you stood in front of and went, whoa! Yes. What? Kauai, Hawaii on the botanical something coast. Yes, uh, you know, Hawaii is just incredible by itself, but that sounds like a great view. Did you snap it? It's in your head, right? Never forget it. Who else? There were some hands over here. Yes, all the way. Niagara Falls, was that pretty cool? Did you think to yourself, I want to go over this in a barrel? <laughs> yes, right here. Jerusalem, yes. Was there a particular place in Jerusalem? So you're on the Mount of Olives and you're going, oh my gosh, I will never forget this. Something else. The Grand Canyon, same. South Rim, we were staying at the El Tovar, kept a promise to my mom that I was going to take her. I was a little kid, we watched a documentary, I said, mom, I'm going to be rich one day, I'm going to take you to the Grand Canyon. My mom got cancer, I said, it's now or never. We booked a train, got the bedrooms in the train, went, did the boozy trip all the way up to Chicago and back down, woke up the next morning, rolled my mom out the wheelchair, I snapped a shot of looking at the South Rim of the Grand Canyon, I will never forget it. Yes. Where? Hoover Dam, we never got to go there because, you know, we were doing all went to Zona and some other stuff, but the Hoover Dam, I heard it's amazing. And I could probably, we could go around here. That was fun, wasn't it? You guys, are, you guys are, 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 are cultured. You've been around. You've seen some things. And, uh, you know, my eyes have seen some amazing views. Like, you know, maybe this is not a big deal for you, but I remember when I was watching the changing of the guard at the palace in, in, in London, um, I remember uh, when my wife and I went to Iceland and we got to see, you know, uh, it's, it's the fire and ice, you know, uh, island of volcanoes and of glaciers. And I remember we were standing there at Diamond Beach and my, it's one of the happiest moments of my wife's entire life and we're holding these giant glaciers in our hands and, or the Roman Colosseum, which to me was underwhelming. I thought it was the size of a, like a, a, like a, a high school football stadium. <laughs> I stood there, I was like, this is a Roman Colosseum, this is very small. Uh, but anyway, no offense to the Romans who worked very hard on it. <laughs> I don't know if any of those are in heaven, so I don't have anything to worry about, but joke. But, uh, you know, or, or Machu Picchu. You know, I remember standing there at Machu Picchu, our son had guided us up there, and, and I just remember that great moment. Or, or bigger panoramic views like, the day that I got was getting married on my grandparents, in my grandparents' backyard on a little bridge over a creek, and I'm standing across from this beautiful woman, and I'm watching the smile on her face, and the, and the preacher said, and you may now kiss the bride, and I remember the beauty of her face. I snapshotted that, and even though I can't remember anything from two months ago, I can remember that. Or when my son was born and I cut the cord. I'll never forget it. I love telling the story. They gave me like dull scissors, I think. Um, for all of you who like to go fishing, you know, can relate. I cut into it and it was like, it was, it was, and then warm bloodshot on my hand. And then I had to back the scissors out, open them all the way up, jam it in and get that second cut. He, and we've been trying to cut him loose ever since, you know. 
LOL, LOL, LOL. Um, you know, the sight of both of my kids the first time I was able to see them. There are certain views that you hold on to all of your life. And so for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to teach you about another kind of view. And, and after today, like I said, it's going to be known as the anoramic view. The, the world, the nation, the church um, has been through so much lately. My heart aches for the pain I feel in the earth right now. You know, the prophets in, in the scriptures, they were sensitive to the, to the feelings. They took on the feelings. The Bible says that Jesus did this. They took on the feelings of the sufferings of the people around them. It's a very prophetic thing for you to be praying and feel the grief of other people. You become so empathetic that you almost can't handle it sometimes. You want to make the sounds go away, and you feel so burdened for the people around you. That's what will drive you into pastoring a church. It will drive you into leading in a church, and you won't quit even though you go through so much. And I believe that the church, the world, the nation needs a new word of hope for this hour. And I believe that I have a prophetic message, a word of hope for this hour. And this is the perfect prophetic message and the word of hope for the kind of church that needs it but also deserves it. The anoramic view is showcased in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to go, this is, by the way, not on, this won't be on the screen. I like to read out of a paper Bible sometimes. These things, these old school things, man, is nothing like one. I don't sound like an old guy right now, but I just love being able to mark it up and look at it and have to rebind it every couple of years. Come on, right? Just to be able to carry that thing around and see the dimensions of it and see that it doesn't look too big, but yet it's full of so much. And so the Bible says, now we always in Christmas, which is kind of wild, I am going to the Christmas text here. Pretty cool. Good job, Chuck bring him back. So here's the thing. Uh, most people stop right at the end of Jesus being born. We talk about the wise men. We talk about all, you know, you know the star and, and the, the shepherds and all those things. But I want to go to the rest of it. It says eight days later, just eight days after the whole thing we do in Christmas, when the baby was circumcised, they named him Jesus, the name that the angel had given before he was conceived. And then was the time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So the parents took him to Jerusalem to present him. So they would have, by requirement of law, they didn't just happenstance into this. The law required that they would be in Jerusalem dedicating this child eight days later. So I want you to catch that. So the parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It says, if the firstborn child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. I'm in chapter 2, verse uh, 23 now. Verse 25 says, now there was a man there named Simeon. And he lived in Jerusalem. He was a, uh, he was a righteous man. He was very devout, like many of you. It's a very righteous church. It's a very devout church. This church is very serious about God. I know that some of you got some secret things going on and you're dealing with stuff. And I don't want to, you know, use grace as some frilly thing, but... Most of the people in this church are very dedicated to God. Don't be too hard on yourself. Allow the grace of God to work in you and allow God to bring you out of whatever it is because he loves you so much. He sees how hard you're working and how much the devil is pounding against you. And this is a devout church. This is a righteous church. 
And it says uh, he was very devout, and it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this church is like that as well. And he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Lord lent, the, the Spirit led him to the temple. I just think to myself, the times the Lord has led me to do things that if I hadn't followed his leading, what I would have missed. The Lord led him. Thank God he led you to church today. And all the things he led you into, all those moments that would not be moments if God had not led you, if you were not leadable, if you were not a follower, if you were not flexible and be willing to be led and go places you don't want to go. And it says that Simeon saw baby Jesus and he, uh, he uh, put him in his arms and he said, verse 29, Lord, now I can die in peace as you have promised me. I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Now my eyes have seen the one thing I needed to see all of my life. I just needed to see this one thing, and now my eyes have seen it. I can die right here because I've seen the one thing I long to see. doesn't stop there. Verse 36 Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was a daughter of Phanuel. Everybody say Phanuel. I want you to log that in your brain because it's going to come back in a little while. She was from the tribe of Asher. Everybody say Asher. Log that word too. And, and, he was, and, and she was very old. She was, uh, she was a widow. And her husband had died when they were married for only seven years. Can you imagine this? Some of you here have lost someone after seven or 17 years. It is a very painful thing when you watch people go through this. You wonder, how do they handle it? Seven years, she had no children. And it says at verse 37, she was now 84 years old, and she never left the temple but stayed there day and night. Are you kidding me, Bible? Are you kidding me? Is this real? Is this exaggerated? Who would not leave the temple day and night until she's 84 years old when in seven years into her marriage her husband dies and she goes to the temple and day and night with worship and fasting and prayers, she never leaves the temple? What is this crazy woman doing? Says she talked about Jesus, so then it goes, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She's going crazy. You know, we always say don't judge somebody else's praise. You don't know what they're experiencing. And, man, there's nothing like somebody who's having an anoramic view. Her name is Anna, and I've given her the label because Simeon aramic doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> I love laughing, man. Okay, so watch. Oh, this, uh, this, your, this sermon is going to blow your mind, man. I, this church is full of revelation knowledge. Most of the time, my sermons are just like three points and an objective statement, some rationale that all goes together, and you can remember it. But, I um, mean, I'm not like, back in Genesis. You know, I don't have a lot of that stuff. Okay, I didn't learn how to do that. Okay, but watch. This one is going to blow your mind. This is some Bible code stuff. You're going to be like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay, watch this. I'm not even kidding you. So watch. It says, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. She began praising God. She's talking about Jesus with everyone who had been waiting. Everybody say, everyone who had been waiting. That means it wasn't just her waiting. There was lots of people waiting. Lots of people waiting. I don't know how long. Days, months, years waiting. How many of you ever prayed a prayer and you're waiting? How many of you have ever fasted and prayed and you're waiting? 
How many of you have ever prayed for a year or a few years or a decade and you're like, my God, when's it ever going to happen? I think I'll give up on that and pray for something else. But you've decided not to and you're still waiting. You're still waiting for that, for something. You're longing for something. Man, you know, I think about Miss Gwen who came up here and hugged Pastor Dalton and, you know, I, whether she was going to hug me or not, I just jumped in there and got one. Where's she at? She, she told me, she always sits over here, but she said, I'm sitting right behind you today. I was like, that's right. I need to feel that fire coming off. I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I don't know how long you've been in this church, Miss Gwen, but it seems like you've been here the whole time. You are the most beautiful woman. Uh, your smile, your, your, the, your happiness, just you create so much beauty in this church, you know. And, and, but you know what I love about Miss Gwen? She's always firing off with prayer, man. This woman is an intercessor, and I love intercessors. Intercessors are weird. I'm not saying you're weird, Miss Gwen, but my wife says you always attract the weirdest people. Yeah, I mean, I, I love intercessors. I always have the intercessors in my life. Intercessors are scary for a church. They'll flip out. They go crazy. You know, and when you get the affluent, dignified people that walk in, it's like, hey, intercessors, we need you to be a little cool today. No screaming, no yelling, no flags, no walking around, no shouting, no problem. Yeah, I'm just kidding, right? How many intercessors do we have in this church? Come on. How many people in this church like to pray? Right? Lots of hands going up right now. I would love to turn this entire church into a church of intercessory prayer before I leave today. That is my mission. Because I don't believe that God is just calling certain people to be intercessors. We are in an hour that requires all hands on deck, all warriors to the front lines. Every Christian is an intercessor. You are anointed of the Lord in this hour. Something with him. I actually did that. I turned it. This is like a really cool new microphone. Like if you just turn. Yeah. So anyway. Microphone, stay working. Okay. So here's, <laughs> in the future, we're going to talk to the mics, you know. So, all right, let me go. The anoramic view is showcased in Luke 2, as I just showed you. Simeon, just want to kind of bring some stuff into play here. Holy Spirit said, you're not going to die until you see some things. And he told him, these are the things. Simeon, for many years, the Spirit of God had said to him, you are going to see the Messiah with your eyes. You will not die until you see the Messiah with your eyes. You will not die. And so every day of his life, he is praying. Can you imagine what it's like for him believing God that he's going to see this amazing thing? And then you got Anna over here. She stayed there day and night. I wrote in my notes, fanatic, fanatic. Will we have fanatics in the hour of our Lord's next coming? Will we have fanatics? Because God will make fanatics for certain moments of, of time. You know, there's time for the regular church. We already had that in this country. In case you haven't realized, I don't want to say that like, like you're dumb and I'm smart, but in case you haven't realized, like there's a wake-up call happening in the country right now. In the world. I remember um, a preacher, a, a TV preacher from many years ago. I was watching him teach. He must have read, been reading the Dakes Bible. Pastor, you had one of those, didn't you? I mean, you know, Dakes, what I love about Dakes, he tried to, like, put, put a spin on every single verse in the whole Bible. Well, he probably got a lot of stuff wrong. A lot of people are like, don't read that. He's the devil. But I loved it because I was like, man, this guy's going for it. He's trying every verse. Well, this other preacher that was on TBN, I think, was reading Dakes, too, because he had a lot of the same kind of teaching. But he, and he went, and it seemed almost like it was extra biblical. He's in the book of Revelation now, and he's talking about, you know, the, the Bible, you know what the Bible says, uh, that 
Um, we overcome by the, blood, the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb and, and that we love not our lives even to death. And, and it's right around there that it says, and the devil is full of fury because he knows that his time is near. And then he takes this verse from the plagues and he's talking about when demons are gonna be unchained and released into the earth. And he kind of, I always was like, well, that's, I'm gonna be out of here by then. But he tried to say, like he was trying to say that there are certain demons. We know in the book of Jude, the demons who slept with the daughters of men over in Genesis 6, I believe it is, that they were kept in chains. They're not like demons that are just haunting your house. These are chained up demons for what they had done. And, uh, and, and, and he, was, he was saying, these demons are gonna be released at certain times. And you're going to see this massive upheaval of darkness. When COVID hit the world and, and then our nation just started just to tear, just crumbling in in the world, I thought to myself, this feels like more than just something happening in society. It feels like a demonic war has come to the earth. Pastor Dalton, I, I say it, I think every time I'm here, I quote it in our church last Sunday. You're the only person I ever heard say it. I don't know if you heard somebody else say it, but I remember when the first time I ever heard you preach, you go, you go, he go, uh, this generation might be the final generation, and up until now, we have been the weakest generation. And, and, and something to the effect of Jesus' prophecy is I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That is a prophecy from the Son of God. I don't even know if it gets any higher up than that. That one's going to happen. He is not coming back from a, for a weak church, for a limping church, for a church where the devil is subduing us and is all inside of our pews. He's coming back for a victorious church that has their foot on his neck, on the devil's neck. And I believe that if we look weak now, there's a move of God coming. There is a move of God coming to the church. And I want that move of God. I want that move of God. I've been serving God for way too long. I know what it's like to feel like I'm backsliding and starting to just ride on yesterday's Bible readings and all those things, and God is like re-recruiting me in this hour. How many of you feel like he's re-recruiting in this hour right now? It is crazy. I feel like I'm going crazy again. Like, for this to happen. Come on, guys. Um, okay. That, it, that isn't even any of the stuff. I'm not, you like, can't blow my mind yet. That's, I'm not supposed to be. I'm just, listen, the Bible's a great source of inspiration if you study the characters. You know, uh, I think it was K, K. Arthur that talked about it in my, one of the Bible, courts, Bible college classes I took, and she's like, character studies are a great way to learn you know, the Bible, to focus on the characters. And so we're focusing on a few characters that seem really obscure. I mean, Simeon and Anna, they just come up, they get a paragraph each. They're way, they're just like in the background. They come up into the front ground, then they're gone again. They were regular people just like you and me. And they had God-sized dreams, and, you know, these people faced challenges, and they still manifested what seemed to be impossible. And I just want to ask, what is possible for you and your children and your grandchildren? What is possible? I'm talking supernatural, miraculous. What is possible for the youth group in this church and for children's church and for the daycare kids? What is possible for future generations? We're not preaching for today. We're preaching for those that are there, but we are preaching for legacy too. You know, I, I, the millennials, you know, I, I raised millennials. I don't know where I went wrong. Just kidding. <laughs> My millennials are pretty good. How are your millennials? Um, Millennials get such a bad rap, you know, everybody comes against them. The millennial season was a really weird season of time. A lot of cultural stuff happening, you know, with millennials. 
and now the Gen Zers are, 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 are like becoming the adults. And there is a fire in Gen Zers like I haven't seen in a few decades. It is incredible. And now I'm seeing some of the millennials pretending they're Gen Zers because they all want to be young and cool. And so they're getting sucked into it as well. I believe there's, there's like a wave of revival coming right now in the young adult population. And uh, so, so, okay, so Anna is 84. So I want you to think about this. She hasn't left the temple since her husband. Now, think about a few things. One, she's married seven years, and she has no kids. You know in the Bible, if you're a woman, you are having babies. In ancient times, you had to have babies. The fact that she didn't have a baby means that she was trying to have a baby and couldn't have a baby. And what's really wild is she's coming up on her seven years, and seven is a number for completion. You know in her mind, she's thinking to herself, seven, the number of completion. I'm going to have a baby this year. And instead of that happening, her husband dies. Oh, man. Now, now, it's realistic to say, if you take 84 and you minus seven, and you minus around 15, because they would have been married around 15 years old back then. Uh, 15, everybody's holding your little teenagers going, not my kid. Yeah, I know, it's different times now, but that's the way it was then. It's safe to say that she was probably in the temple day and night fasting, praying, and worshiping for 62 years in a row. 62 years. And in Simeon and Anna, we see that God had fanned the fires of prayer leading up to the advent of Christ. More prayer because something big was coming. If there's a point in the whole entire sermon, it's, it's this point right now that you'd want to write down. This is something to remember. And prayer always increases in strategic moments as God recruits people to carry and manifest his plans. During the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening in Saxony, Germany, there was Count von Zinzendorf, who had a property that he dedicated to the Lord and called Hernhut, the Lord's Watchful Care. And it is there that people began to pray. You've heard about this. It's a legendary prayer altar in the world. You can go and visit there now. But for 100 years, people would man those altars, that altar at Hernhut where they had carved in their Psalms 84. The swallow has found a place to lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord God of hosts. This is the nest where I fly to. And they would pray day and night for awakenings to come into the earth. And they manned that prayer altar for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and this prayer revival went on for 100 years. It is from there that John Wesley and Charles Wesley and Lady Huntington and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and, and many of these people were in the same prayer meeting. Because when God starts to move, he will create a huddle of legends. He will create a huddle of legends. Synergy has never been seen greater than what you see God do when he assembles his people together. And, and, and God will increase prayer as he's getting ready to do. You know, it, it's, it's just crazy. I don't understand why, but it's, it's really, it's very humbling for me to think that God could do everything without needing any of us. He's got plenty of angels, but God loves us so much that he lets us get involved. Not only that, he says, I'm not going to do anything in the earth unless I involve my people. If God wants to move, guess what? He's going to move. He's going to find people. God wants, to, God wants to revive this nation. He's looking for people right now. He will not do it without people. 
He's waiting for hands to be raised. He's waiting for people to say, yes, me, I will carry and manifest your purpose in this hour. So Anna was the daughter of Phanuel. Remember I told you to log that word. Phanuel was from the tribe of Asher. Phanuel must have told Anna when she was little the stories about the tribe of Asher from the prophetic voice of Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob gave a prophecy about the tribe of Asher. This is what he says. I'm going to be on the screen for you. Asher's food supply shall be rich and fat, and he shall yield and deliver royal delicacies. Back in Genesis, there it is. There's my Genesis. Produce food fit for kings, it says in the NLT. So Jacob throws, flips this prophecy out there. We don't know what's ever going to come of that prophecy, and we don't really preach a lot of sermons on it because it's like, I don't have any idea. But this is the tribe of Asher in Genesis, in the big book of beginnings. God does something all the way, says something all the way back in the beginning that's going to take centuries to come about. And there's a prophecy that's just hanging out there, and nobody knows what to do with this prophecy. Asher's food supply is going to be fat and rich, and he's going to deliver royal delicacies, delicacies fit for a king. Oh. Perhaps Phanuel must have said to Anna when he was growing, she was growing up, my daughter, one day you will yield royal delights. You will produce something with your life fit for a king. And you know she had to think, surely, as a woman, I am going to produce a child that is going to be fit for the king. What's really wild is her name was Anna, which is a derivative of Hannah, and clearly she had been named after Hannah, and Hannah was barren too. And Hannah cried out to God, and God blessed her and gave her a child, and surely she had tried that. And she was waiting, and seven comes, and seven goes, and now she says to herself, I have, what am I going to produce that is fit for the king, or a king? And, uh, you know, a little side story, you know, just our daughter, you know, I'm a proud father. You know, our daughter, she studied under the chief uh, bakery and pastry chef for the White House. And so our daughter has, in her, in her little lifetime, has served uh, two presidents. She always corrects me. It's actually three because Joe Biden was vice president during, during the Obama administration. So she was able to serve uh, the Obamas, the Bidens, and the Trumps. Uh, in the White House, um, and then also she worked at Keswick Hall, which is where she was able to serve the rock there, you know, the guy with the biceps like me. Uh, so, so whenever you're doing intense sermons, you got to like throw jokes in there every once in a while, it brings everybody back. They're like, oh yeah, funny, he's funny again. Uh, you can't handle, so your eyes will start popping out of your head if we try to go too long. So here's the thing, so, so the rock and then one day she texts me. She goes, hey, Dad, who's the Dalai Lama? I'm like, the Dalai Lama? Like, I, I send her a picture of Yoda. I go, that's the Dalai Lama. <laughs> it's a, it, that green creature from Star Wars, that's the Dalai Lama. <laughs> just kidding. You guys, you're lifting up another religion and giving it credit. Uh, no, I'm just being fun. That's all I'm doing. Uh, but I did take a picture of his Twitter. He had 73 million followers, and, uh, and, and he was following zero. I said, that's the Dalai Lama. She goes, well, I'm serving him lunch today. And she's all panicked. Well, you know, it turns out, to be honest with you, she, all she did was serve him like a fruit dish. So, however, she served delicacies, royal delicacies, to people in high stature in her lifetime. 
And so I kind of identify with this. No doubt when Anna was younger, she visited the temple with her family and she thought, what am I gonna yield from my life for the king? I mean, just even to be a Christian that thinks like that is, a, is, a, is an uncommon thing in this hour. What am I gonna do that's, what am I gonna yield for the king in my life? Not what am I gonna yield for my family, what am I gonna yield for myself, but what am I gonna yield for the king? What am I gonna yield? Just that mindset alone and that prophecy over all of us is over all of us, and all of us would yield something for the king. Every one of us should have that goal of yielding something royal delicacy for the, the king of kings. And, uh, you know, she meets someone, she gets married, she celebrates seven years, she's barren, she has no children, and, you know, uh, her husband falls sick, Life had not worked out the way she wanted it to. And there are many people in this room where you feel also like life has not worked out like you wanted it to. And you almost feel like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I produce? Why can't I bring forth something? And most people, that's enough to just make them quit on life. But there are no quitters in this church. you got to be the kind of person that goes, just because it didn't happen one way, I'll find another way. Because I am determined that this is the generation that will produce something fit for the king and fulfill Asher's, Jacob's prophecy. And, and she must have felt so below average with all of her life issues when other people were doing great things and that she couldn't possibly matter to God in the plan of the ages. Just like so many people, you see your problems in your passing years and you assume that you're aging out of dreams. I've felt like that before. But do not dismay like you'll have nothing to show for your life. God is working. Look at somebody next to you and say, God is working right now in your life. In those months following the funeral, there must have been pressure from the family for her to remarry. You know, they had a real strict remarry plan. They, they wanted to remarry right away. And, you know, you, you guys know when you read the Bible, I mean, you would have to remarry a brother or, so, you know, it was really, really strange, you know, uh, that there's all kinds of really cool sermons and all that kind of stuff. It's, again, the Bible is incredible when the Bible interprets Bible. Um, but, but surely they were like, hey, you know, this eligible brother over here, and she's in the temple, and she's just praying, and everybody's getting concerned now because everybody gets concerned when you pray too much. You can go to a prayer meeting or two, and you can go to Sunday morning church. But if you become a fanatic, everybody will start to get concerned about you. And they start, they start, they start talking behind her back probably. Like, we don't even know what's going on with Anna, the poor girl. She must be so crushed. Seven, the year of completion, she knew it was coming. And her husband dies. Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. And, and, and Anna had to look over her shoulder and almost look back at everyone and say, get off of me. I'm not grieving for my dead husband anymore. I'm grieving for my nation. I have shifted from my own problems, and I am now carrying the burden of God Almighty on my shoulders. And I wrote in my notes, spiritual maturity is to grieve for things that make God grieve. Come on, guys. You will know that you are maturing when you are, you are less grieving for your own problems and less praying about your own problems and how you're going to get your bills paid. And you start to carry the purpose of God. And you start to pray for things like homelessness and starvation and drug addiction and human trafficking Man, I feel the spirit of intercession in this church right now. The lack of education and lack of clean drinking water in so many countries and mental illness. You know, there's a family over in southeast Kentucky where a mom and dad were on a roof and lost all four of their kids in the flood. All four died. Can you even imagine? And I, 
I'll forget that. Next week I'll be in a coffee shop and they'll mess up on my latte art and it'll just ruin my day. And nobody wants to laugh at that because it's such a serious moment. But isn't it true? The stuff that bothers us. The stuff that bothers us in, in this first world problems that we have right now. There's so much suffering in the world and God is going, I want the church to mature in this hour and I want you to start to grieve with the things I'm grieving for. I want you to let go. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That is the way intercessors pray. They don't pray about their own problems. They, they Remember when Jesus said, uh, remember when Jesus said, here's the way you pray. Give us this day our daily bread. The whole idea is clearly a reference back to when they were hoarding up the manna and it would have worms coming out of it and get disgusting because people would try to hoard up on Sunday for the entire week. But he says, I want you to live this every day. I want you to, I want you to trust me to supply for you every day. I don't want you to trust in your storehouses. I don't want you to tear your barns down and, big, big, and build bigger barns. I want you to trust God for daily bread. And do not be like those other people that are going after all of those things. But Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The Lord is hiring intercessors right now. And the pay is really good. He says, how much? He says, all those things that everybody else burns themselves out for, I will give it to you. Oh, man. So watch this. So for, for 62 years. She dialed into the condition of the world around her. It took a while. Dear God, give me your heart. You know, first time you pray that, you can't possibly feel it. Dear God, give me your heart. Somebody tells you, a preacher comes and says, there's a family in the world right now that's doing a funeral for four boys stacked right up side by side. Life is not as bad as you think it is right now. There are real problems in this world, but there are people in here that maybe you are going through real problems, and that's what a church is about, and God wants a church to have that burden for that one, the weakest one going through the biggest problems, and we're carrying each other, and we're carrying purposes for God. And you know this? I'm prophesying right now. There's some people in the church. I feel even some young people, but people probably of all ages. The Lord says, without a vision, people perish. You know, right? They cast off restraints. They do whatever, whenever, wherever. When you, are, when you wake up every day to serve your own purpose, you'll get bored with all of this real fast. And God is saying the answer for some people is to plug back into the purpose of God. And when you do that, you will catch on fire again. And the Lord wants to do that so much today. Okay, you guys are going, this is pretty good, but my mind's not blown. Mine either. Stay with me. So she's praying. She's praying through governmental administrations. She's shouldering prophecies about the coming Messiah. She's believing God for things. Man, things that haven't happened. She, she got a, I got a hunch that this, these things are supposed to happen in, in my generation. I'm, I'm looking for fulfillment in the last days. Your young men will see, will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your, your, your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Come on. And you start going, God, I found a prophecy in Scripture, and I don't see it happening right now, but I'm going to get down on my knee for 62 years, and I'm going to pray until I see it. I want to pray and carry something with and put it in my arms and look at it and say, now I can die because I have partnered with the Almighty to manifest something supernaturally. Every Christian 
should go to heaven with your story. Can you imagine how embarrassing it's going to be when you're hanging out with Moses and he's over there like with all that swagger and he's like, yeah, man, it was really cool. I just stuck the staff out and boom. And, you know, and John the Baptist is over there. He's got a big, he's got a big scar on his neck and he's like, yeah, it was wild when, they, when the thing went down and I knew I was losing my neck for the king of kings. And they're telling these stories and you're standing there and they go, what about you? And you're standing there and you're just like, one time I prayed over a meal at Chick-fil-A and there was this one sinner family that wandered into there and they looked at me funny and I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I just, that was called like exaggeration. I just went way off the charts there. But man, you know, and here's the thing. I want you guys to know, I don't think I'm some like, I'm like the holiest guy in the room. I'm, I'm just like everyone in this room. I'm preaching this to myself because I feel like I've gotten fat and lazy in so many ways in the kingdom of God. Like, I'm being honest with you. Like, I don't want to lose the fire that I had. First time I ever preached, I preached a sermon on fire. They still make fun of me for that sermon. Fire, fire, fire. I called everybody forward. I was yelling fire for hours. Hours. I probably heard people out loud saying, Lord, make him stop. Let my people go. They were like, do you have any text for this? You got any scripture? Fire, fire, what's fire? Come get fire. Man, you know, I just never want to lose that edge. What a waste for me to be on fire when I didn't even hardly need it. Now it's needed. The Lord is re-enlisting. He's re-enlisting. Like you watch those old Rambo movies. They go get him. He's over in some cabin. Uh, the young people are just like, what the, who's Rambo? Uh, just, I'm allowed to make old references every once in a while. I, I can be non-relevant sometimes. Well, I'm relevant. Come on, I see hands going up. All the old people are going, thank God these preachers finally preaching to us, using references we can get. But here's the thing, you know. They always got to go get that guy that's like retired out of the military and, you know, he's in a cabin somewhere and, and he's got his big gun collection everywhere and we need you to be a, you know, a mercenary and go in there and get these kids out of this, you know, in this bad situation. Well, God is doing that right now. He's looking for some people. You used to pray like there was no tomorrow and he's saying, I need to re-enlist you. I need to re-anoint you. I need to re-up what I started in you. I want to touch your forehead again and anoint you with something. We credit John the Baptist for making the way of the Lord, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. But before John the Baptist was a praying grandma, not biological, but she was a spiritual grandma, a praying Anna. A praying Anna was before John the Baptist praying for 62 years. So John the Baptist is probably like 30 or so, right, when, whenever he's preaching his ministry, probably around there because, right, they were pregnant at the same time. So he, he's around 30. So you go back 35 years into Anna's prayers. She's not seen anything happen. Lord, I'm just praying. What? I'm seeing a vision of a way maker. I pray for a way maker to come into the earth and prepare the way and make straight his path. And she's praying for him that his faith would not fail him. And she's covering him. How many praying grandmas do I have in this church? We always said... I was doing a revival in Murfreesboro, North Carolina years ago. Maybe I've shared this, but I was doing a revival, and we, it, it was a church of 50 people, Murfreesboro, North Carolina. Church is still there. 50 people were in that church. I was supposed to preach Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. I preached on Friday night, preached on Saturday night, preached on Sunday morning. There was already like 30-some people that got born again for the first time. We were tracking first-time born-agains. 
And so the pastor goes, hey, you want to go over for a week? Sure, let's do it another week every night. Every night we're praying for people. That's back in the day. I'm not exaggerating because like I'm in the presence of God. The last thing I want to do is lie to you while I'm preaching. So we're there. Emily can verify. After midnight, we are praying for people for healings. They are just lined up out the door. I'm thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to live. One night, we ended up having to get a tent because we couldn't fit everybody in the church anymore. We went 97 nights in a row, 171 people got first time born again in this revival. 97 nights in a row. And let me tell you something. Somebody goes, well, God's not moving like that anymore. There's no such thing as revivals anymore. I'm saying revivals will come back, and the move of God will come back, and prayer lines will come back, and all those things will come back because they're needed now. And watch this. So, so, so in this revival, the one night, one night this, before the service, this guy starts having a heart attack, and he falls over the steps, and they call an ambulance. I'm a faith preacher. I'm like, please don't call the ambulance. It's going to ruin the prayer lines. You know, everybody's going to be like, well, they had to get a doctor here. I'm joking, kind of, you know. You know what I'm saying, right? So anyway, I go in. We're having the service. I, see the, I can see the lights outside the tent. I'm like, this is terrible. We prayed for the guy. I really probably was like, please, God. You heal him instead of them having to heal him. Let him be healed by the time they get here. That was a prayer. It turned out he was healed by the time they got there. They went ahead and took him to the hospital. He was fine. All these details are 100% accurate. While I'm preaching, these two guys come, you know, walking through the back of the tent. They sit down at the end, give a call for salvation to come forward and get saved. That's back in the day when you'd interview people when they were up at the altar. So tell me, why'd you come here tonight? Boom. They look at each other. We were just cruising around Franklin, Virginia which is about 30 minutes away from Murfreesboro, North Carolina. We're just cruising around looking for a party, and an ambulance goes by. I said, chase it. They chased the ambulance. He said, we were going to turn around 10 miles in and then 20 miles in, and finally we just all of a sudden it pulls into a church, and we can hear noise. He referred to me as noise. A lot of people do. My wife does. He said, we walk into the tent, and then, and then, and then I said, then I said, I said something else to him, and he goes, can I say something? I said, yeah. He goes, I just want to shout out. He's kind of like, like, like we were on TV. I just want to shout out to my grandma. My grandma's been praying for me and my friend here for as long as I can remember that we would get born again, and here we are stumbling into this tent tonight. God will use an ambulance. He'll use, he'll use the beginning of a heart attack and then heal the person and have someone follow the ambulance and get born again. Why? Because grandma was praying. Sometimes I see some grandmas, I see some grandmas getting older these days, and you're still praying for that one that's in the detention home and that one that's in jail, and God is saying, don't you dare give up. If it takes 62 years, you believe God, keep fighting to live, that you see with your eyes what you have partnered with God to manifest. That could have never happened. All right, I'm, stay with me just a few more minutes. Listen, every, before every testimonial at this church, was a praying Anna. I can tell you this right now, this entire church, everything you see here, this whole thing was manifested by prayer. That's why it's so powerful. You can come in here any, every year I come here, the worship is powerful, the presence of God is powerful, the people are powerful, the people are victorious. Why, this place has always been saturated with prayer. And what you don't want to have happen is the greatest move of God is ahead of you, and you don't want to have half the prayer force going in. So what God... Yeah, okay, you know what it was? It was loose, and, and then I had to do something. I think it's good now. Yeah, I think I'm good. 
Let's try it. How many of you vote for this poor microphone that's struggling to fulfill its purpose right now? Come on, say, I believe in you. Okay, you can do this. So here's the thing. Right now, so, <laughs> listen, people don't just rise from obscurity. People don't just rise from obscurity. We, we, were, talking about, we were talking about Pastor Dalton's mom. How many of you remember her? What a woman of God. We came to the funeral, you know. She impacted our life so much. Man, you talk about a praying mom or a praying grandma. Those are powerful things. And you never want to underestimate that. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff because I want to make sure you're still, I still have your attention. Okay, thank you. All I'm saying is this. I was on the plane to L.A. just not too long ago, and I was on the plane to L.A. I stepped beside this guy. He said, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but they're saying that L.A. might be the first third-world country in America, third-world city in America. It's collapsing right now, and the gap between the super wealthy and the homeless is becoming one of the most extreme things in the world where you have $40 million mansions, $100 billion mansions, and lots and lots and lots of super wealthy, millions and millions, tens of millions, and then you've got the increase of homelessness. We went to Verve coffee, which is like, that was like a kind of a dignified corridor there. Now the whole thing is covered. We were just there. The, the homelessness is going blocks over and covering the streets, and it's collapsing right now, and so goes the city, the big cities, then comes the little cities, and then comes the towns and the counties, and we see some serious things happening in our country right now, and God wants somebody to fight for Lexington. And God wants somebody to fight for this church. And God wants somebody to fight for those who are backsliding in this church right now. He wants you to fight no man or woman left behind. He wants you to wrestle and fight for everyone to make it across the line. It's a volatile moment. We're facing battles of spiritual origin. And God is looking for people who will grieve for the country. People who will shift from their own concerns to the concerns of God. Now, here's where this gets fun. And I'm probably almost done. Can you imagine what the moment was like when Anna's standing there? And she sees baby Jesus for the first time. Can you, you talk about goosebumps? Can you imagine? No wonder she starts praising God. That's the only thing the Bible could say for it. She was flipping out. She was flipping out. She, for 62 years, fasting and praying. I didn't even get remarried. I went all in with the kingdom of God. I believe this was going to be my royal delicacy. And you are the woman in history that half the church probably doesn't, will never get it, but you're the one that God partnered with and said, I'm partnering with you to carry the Messiah into the earth because I don't do anything in the earth unless I partner with people. And God says the greatest thing that ever happened to this earth was the Son of God coming in, and I'm going to partner with you for 62 years, and I'm going to let you carry it. I believe, that, I believe the return of the Lord is coming, and God is looking for people. I know I sound like an old school guy right now when I say that, but man, when I look at what, some of the stuff that's happening right now, I could, we could sit down and talk this stuff. I've got, I had a Gen Zer say, uh, um, no, no, yeah, he's in between Gen Z and millennial just recently. He says, are you going to preach on end times anytime soon? I was like, what? Am I getting a request from a Gen Zer to talk about end times? He's like, yeah, every time I look, there's a, isn't a lot of this stuff like biblical prophecy starting to happen right now? And I'm like, a lot of people are starting to ask those questions. We are living in a biblical hour, an hour where things are happening of biblical proportions, and God is recruiting. Anna finally saw with her eyes what she had conceived, carried, and manifested for 62 years, and there it is. I'm just going to say this. There are some dreams that have a gestation period that last longer than nine months. 
at a, this guy in our church got saved right on the front row of our church. And for nine months, his wife had kicked him out because he was dealing methamphetamines and he was lost. His kids were dealing drugs. They were completely lost. He goes to jail. They kicked him out because he's preaching to everyone. They let him out of his sentence early. And he's believing God. He's sending me text messages. It's coming up on eight months. It takes nine months to have a baby. I'm believing God. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm believing God. Finally, nine months in, he said, Amy called and she welcomed me to come back home. And he believed God. And for nine months, the time it takes to bring a child, he birthed something into existence. But there are some things that take longer than nine months. They take nine years, or maybe they take a few decades. And God's looking for people that have the tenacity to hold on and to fight with God for those things to happen. Okay, so watch this. Anna's dad's name, what was his name again? Fanuel. Fanuel comes from the word Peniel. Peniel is the name of the place where Jacob wrestled with the angel. It was a theophany. It was a manifestation of God in bodily form. It is where Jacob manifested on the other side of the brook while he was asking God to change his name and where God said, I'll change your name. You're no longer deceiver, but now you're the nation of Israel. And this is the place Peniel is, actually stands for the face of God. Isn't it amazing that Fanuel, which means face of God, has a daughter who is the first woman to identify, the, or, or the one of the first to identify the face of God, the Son of God. Not just that, Anna is now manifesting. She is yielding these royal delicacies. You know what else is wild? If you go just to the very end, I'm so sorry, it's all like I'm not so out of time here. Remember all the verses I read to you? These are the next ones. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled the law, the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned to Nazareth. And verse 40, the child grew up healthy and strong and was filled with wisdom beyond years, and God placed on him the special favor. Special favor upon him. Do you know what's crazy is that Anna is named after Hannah. Hannah means favor. This is a woman named Favor that's praying for the Son of God for 62 years. And now we see the very first feature on this son of God is favors upon his life. Not only that, you could go back to Hannah. She's the one that prayed. God gave her a child. His name is Samuel. Samuel, there's only, there's only two places that exact configuration of words is found in Scripture. It is spoken about Samuel when it said none of his words fell to the ground, and he had the special favor. He grew in stature and wisdom, and he had the favor of God. And the same exact thing is said about Jesus. Hannah's praying, and God gives her Samuel. Anna's praying. She doesn't have her own child, but she has a spiritual. And God is asking you, if I can give you a spiritual blessing, will that be enough for you? Can you stand with me this morning? Man, God is asking you in this church right now. He is asking you, will you go out of this earth with an anoramic view? I want you to look around the church real fast because you know what I love about this church? I see people here year after year after year after year. David, it was, uh, David, sorry, Brian. Brian, it was such an honor to serve with you. That moment when Mark, Mark had me shoveling dirt in his driveway. Brian didn't know that Mark came and started giving me instructions about how to shovel the dirt. If I, had, if I had a low EQ, I'd have been like, hey, man, I'm serving you right now. I'm going to do it my way. I was like, yes, sir. No problem. No problem. I didn't want to tell him I already did what he just told me. But the dirt was like in little grooves, and I couldn't get it out. 
Well, then he got Brian down there in another project. He didn't know that Mark was telling me to do it perfect with a toothbrush. Brian tries to have a high EQ. He says up to me, hey, can you bring the wheelbarrow down here? We need to move this fence right now. He, and, he, and, I, and I was like, yeah, let me just finish this right here. And then all of a sudden, I could see him getting antsy. He looks up. This is so funny. He looks up at me and he goes, uh, hey, Chuck, uh, Chuck, you're doing too good. You're doing it. He's trying to give me these hints that I'm like, I'm, Chuck, what are you doing wasting so much time on this? This guy wanted this driveway. I didn't know that he was a coal miner that would have shoveled debris all of his life. And for some reason, it was driving him crazy that this stuff was all over his driveway. And we are just serving this guy when there's other people that needed a lot more help. But we're serving Mark. And we get around the back of the house. And he had us. He's like, I need you to get this rock over here because it's, it's going to rot my building. But what was, am I making this up? The entire building had sludge against it. I'm like, you want this one rock gone, but all that sludge is all the way across there. going to rot this building, but we're going to, yes, we'll move this one rock. And we are shoveling and shoveling and shoveling. And then he's, he's telling us his story, you know. He falls from a ladder, breaks his pelvis, gets a new kidney. Then when he gets a new kidney, he comes down with diabetes. And then he's, he's like, I'm certified black lung. And all these different things. And I'm thinking to myself, and he's a pretty hard kind of guy. He's not letting us in. And then Brian and I start talking about our moms and dads and childhood. And, and Brian says, you know, he says, Bethel Harvest Church is the only family I've ever had. All of a sudden, I look over at Mark. Mark is shaking. Mark is shaking down there. We get down and pray over him. He starts crying and tells us the first time he's cried in like 20 years. It's just incredible. It's just incredible the people that are in this church the level of people that are in this church. Here's a guy that comes in. He's been here like six months or something like that. He's already just as wild as all of you. He's just caught right up in it, and God is working in his life. I was like, this is a maverick right here. And that's what this church is about. I just want you to look around real fast at the miracles of God. Just look at the miracles of God. You know? Pastor Dalton was pointing out, he said, we got a new, new guy up on the team, you know, up on the worship team, and they're writing their own songs now. And like, just so much happening in this church, all the way to the back. I'm just looking back here, all these different people I've seen over the years. People have been born again. You know why? You know why people shout and scream their heads off when, when somebody gets born again? Because they're the intercessors who've been praying for this, and they're getting an anoramic view. And when you come forward, they're looking out there and they're going, I've been praying for that for years. I've been praying for that one for years. Man, there is no way you can judge a person praising when they've been carrying something with God. And I want you to look forward right now. And I want you to ask yourself, what is it that God's trying to partner with me on for this next hour? For my family? For, for this church? For this city? This church, Bethel Harvest, is a front lines church. It is not possible. The DNA of this church will not allow this to ever become like one of those churches you go into and you fall asleep in it. You might get mad because it preaches long, you know, when it brings in special speakers. But I'm going to tell you right now, at least you weren't bored. Father, let's pray. We come to you today, and we're asking you for the anoramic view. God, we've seen a lot of good things with our eyes, but we are looking forward to some things, God, that we've been praying for for a long time. I pray that you would reawaken the intercessors, God, that you would, that you would recruit and that you would re-recruit. Father, we're going to celebrate all the things that you've done in this church up until now. 
We thank you, God, for all the miracles that you've done in here. And we thank you for all that is about to happen. We're praying for people in this church that have yet to become born again. We're praying for people that are backsliding and struggling. We thank you right now that there's a move of God coming that will sweep everyone straight into it. And we love you and we praise you for it.